Hey there, everyone. You are now live with the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and thank you for tuning in today. This is episode 14. 14 weeks we've been doing this bad boy, so uh, happy to have you with us. And what we're going to address today is a very, very important topic on how a woman can take charge of her finances. Okay, and you might be sitting there saying, any female listener, why am I going to listen to a dude on how to take care of my money when he's a guy? He's not a woman. Well, let me tell you, I have plenty of female clients, and I think when you boil finance and money down, and you really get to know people, whether guy or gal, we're all after the same thing here. I think we have all the same sets of uh, wants and needs you know, we all have the same ambitions to take care of our family, to take care of our business or our career, and by and large, the same uh, means to an end. So when it comes to finance, I think uh, it, it doesn't really matter that much, man or woman. What I'm going to touch on, though, is some of the uh, life events that could provoke a woman to say, okay, now I have to take charge of my finances. And my goal today is to prepare you for that. So again, as in so much of my, my talks that I give, we never want you to be reactionary. We want you to be proactive so that when things arise, you always have options and that you don't have to say, oh my gosh, where's the panic button? All right, so what we're going to touch on again, how a woman can take charge of her finances and why is this such an important topic? Am I hopping on the Me Too movement or uh, woman empowerment? I'm not a feminist, I guess you could say, but... We got to look at the reality, guys. Women are becoming and are, they're here now, a major force in today's economy. I recently read a survey by YouGov, uh, which does polls all around the world, and they polled over 14,000 people. And what their survey showed is that one in five women make the same or more money than their partner. I thought that was a pretty eye opening statistic that 20% of households. The woman is the breadwinner, okay? I, I think that that uh, shows great progress, of course, for women, and uh, just how much has happened just in the past few decades. A statistic that was also in that study that I found even more revealing is when it comes to household financial planning, 26% of women call the shots. So irregardless of who's making more money than who, one out of four households, the mom or the wife, is the one that is the financial decision maker, Okay, so I think that that's a that's that's a great uh, statistic to recognize. And these numbers, like I mentioned, have certainly increased dramatically in recent decades. But we do have to take a step back and recognize that there are many homes out there still stuck in the patriarchal past in which women take care of the house and the kids and men go to work and take care of the work and the money. So if you're saying, you know, I kind of fall into that camp, we're old school. That's how we do things in our house. I do got to tell you, it's my duty to let you know that trends and family dynamics are making that arrangement less viable every day. And you might be saying, well, what trends, what, what trends out there could affect the way that we manage our finances and what roles we play as husband and wife? Well, I'll give you the first one. And this is an unfortunate one, but depending on what study you read, about half of all marriages today end in divorce. Okay, Most of the studies that I was able to pick up, that number ranges between 50 to 52% of marriages. Uh, sadly, they don't last forever. Okay, 
So obviously when that split occurs, when Ken and Barbie go their separate ways, doesn't matter who was the financial quarterback, but whoever kind of took uh, the, the sidelines is now going to be thrust into the driver's seat and have to really get a good grasp on finances and how they're going to manage their money moving forward. Okay, at that point, you don't really have a decision. All right. And you might even say, well, that's not us. You know, we're, we're still going strong and we're going to stay happily married forever. And that's fantastic. I give you a lot of credit for that. But according to the CDC, all right, the Center for Disease Control, the average American woman lives to about 81 years old, whereas the average American man lives to about 76. Okay, so if you do some simple math, even if we're staying hitched forever, women are typically outliving their male counterpart by about five years. Okay, so both of those realities mean that the 74% of women today who are not controlling the financial decisions and who prefer to stay out of the financial realm will very likely someday be forced again into that driver's seat, okay? So it's not so much just how a woman can take charge of her finances, but now hopefully you understand why a woman must take charge of her finances, okay? So in all things, we want to plan ahead, right? We don't plan to fail, but we fail to plan, okay? So we're going to avoid that by getting a, a grip on uh, the overall situation, Okay, so again, as a certified financial planner, I meet with, with hundreds, if not thousands of couples every year, and I found three common excuses that lead to a woman's inexperience when it comes to financial planning or personal finance. Okay, so this is my own, uh, I don't want to say empirical evidence, but my own um, observation uh, from what I've seen just being in this career for you know, over the past 10 years. And I think if you, you talk with most folks out there, their, uh, their kind of observation would be in line with, you know, what history has taught me. So what are those three excuses? I'll get right to them. Number one, the woman says, I find all this talk about money boring. Okay. It's boring. So I don't make financial decisions. Number two, money makes me anxious. It gives me agita. I don't even want to think about money, let alone talk about it and draw up game plans around it. And then number three, going back to that old school patriarchal kind of approach, my husband makes more money, so he feels it's his role alone. It's not up to me. All right, I'm here to tell you today on this podcast that those three excuses are just that. They are excuses, okay? In regards to number one, I find money boring. I've yet to see any scientific study that there's a biological difference citing a man's interest in finance and money as being far greater than a woman's interest in wealth management, okay? So I don't, I don't like that excuse because it, the fact of the matter is there's a lot of things in life that are boring that we have to give their, their time, okay, or, or give our time to, I should say. I don't enjoy going to the gym every day and doing the same exercises or getting on the treadmill. I find that very boring, but I still try and get that in at least four or five times a week because it's the responsible, healthy thing to do. All right, Money is not that different. All right, Wealth and health go hand in hand. Okay, It may be boring. Maybe you didn't want to be an economics major, but we still at least have to have a general knowledge of personal finance and how we're managing our household. All right. And then in respect to number two, you know, money makes me anxious. You cannot allow money to make you anxious. Okay, that's being unfair to money. 
All right. Many of us, we don't enjoy going to visit the doctor. You know, I know I certainly don't, but we all got to do it sometime. Right. Again, that's the proactive, responsible thing to do. It goes for money as well. We can, I think, eliminate a lot of that anxiety or worry by, I don't want to say overcoming a fear, but overcoming that anxiety just by confronting money and coming up with a game plan and understanding all the different options available to us and the corresponding consequences to those decisions. And I think if you start to embrace that over time, you'll find out that money, you know, doesn't have to give you such anxiety. Okay. If you can spend money, you better understand how to make some financial decisions around it. And then the third excuse, my husband's making more money. He feels it's his role alone. Uh, that's not going to fly. Okay. I always tell people income is not an entitlement or a prerequisite to financial decision making. So I'll say that one more time. Income is not an entitlement or a prerequisite to financial decision making. Okay. All opinions are equally valid. So when we have a happy marriage, all right, both voices have to be heard. Okay. And it goes for money as well as any other aspect of a healthy relationship. Okay. So one of the things I do as a CFP to overcome some of those barriers, I insist that both spouses always be present at all of our meetings. All right. They always got to be there. Otherwise, we're just not going to be on the same page. So sometimes I'll get that, you know, from, from the husband over the phone. Hey, listen, you know, I make the financial decisions. Don't worry about it. We'll meet. We'll kind of go over things and then I'll fill my wife in tonight. You know, we'll go from there. No, not anymore. That's not going to happen. There are no silent partners in a safe, effective partnership. Okay. I need both of you there. We all got to get on the same page. All right. Getting everyone on board is going to be about 90% of the battle. And it's going to make the next two life events, all right, that we spoke about earlier, way less stressful and easier to manage if or when they do crop up. Okay. So let's look at that next step. All right. The first big life event that I mentioned that can, again, thrust a woman into the financial role, whether she wants to or not, is, of course, divorce. All right. That is a transition, a life transition that is absolutely rife with emotions and money can often just add more fuel to that fire, okay? A recent survey that was done by Dave Ramsey showed that the number one issue couples argue about is money, all right? So if we can have that conversation ahead of time, maybe we can excuse all those arguments and possibly not even go down that route of separation or divorce, okay? So we want to have those conversations, and if you weren't agreeing before the divorce about your money, I could almost guarantee that you're not going to agree afterwards. Okay, so we need those conversations to occur. But, however, if we do go down that path, we go our separate ways, one of the first things a divorced wife should do is take complete stock of her finances. Okay, so now we're assuming that, unfortunately, you are in that 74% where you are not the financial decision maker. And now you're getting thrust into that role. Step one, take stock of all your finances. I use at my office, in our practice, we use a software called the Living Balance Sheet to aggregate all of our clients' financial data. All right, there's a lot of other programs out there that can accomplish the same thing. But ultimately, what that allows us to do is all these moving pieces that kind of make up like your financial junk drawer, we can put that all into one nice, neat spot uh, just so we stay organized, which again is such a key, key thing. 
All right. And then once you know what's where, a divorcee must then devise a monthly budget. All right. We got to come up with priorities. What's going to be necessary versus what may have been an optional luxury pre-divorce. And sometimes we got to make those hard decisions of what stays and what goes. All right. This budget, you know, it can include, you know, that child support or alimony if applicable. But we got to understand and recognize that that added income very well may just be temporary. Okay, that's something that we can't overlook. And also, now that you're not only the decision maker, but you're also the immediate breadwinner, we got to start talking about the other aspects of a financial plan, i.e. investing for retirement, creating a long term care strategy, you know, certainly bear in mind, if that occurs, you know, later on in life, and you're on your own, those long term care needs might have to be addressed solely by yourself. And then any of the other contingencies that we talk about in those prior 13 episodes I've done, they just become doubly important now when you're uh, truly out on your own. Okay. Another aspect too that you, you may have to look into is life insurance. Oftentimes if there's uh, minor children in the situation, the court is going to mandate that there be life insurance uh, in the picture. So these are all things that we have to start at least getting familiar with. Okay. And then a divorcee must also become well acquainted with their uh, CPA, you know, for any or accountant for any tax obligations, perhaps the financial advisor or a new financial advisor to help guide the whole process. And then the estate attorney, um, the estate attorney may have to revise the will, any beneficiary designations, things of that nature. Okay. The last thing that you want is your assets that now you own to accidentally go back to your ex-spouse, you know, upon your demise by mistake, just because we never updated, you know, simple beneficiary designations uh, in some of those items. Okay. So those are some things when you, you essentially hit the reset button when you get divorced. These are uh, some things that we certainly have to, you know, catch up to speed on. And now if we switch gears, okay, and you say, hey, we're that happily married couple, we're going to live together forever. And hopefully, you know, we pass away hand in hand and take our last breath at the same exact time. But unfortunately, you know, nothing goes perfectly as planned and you find yourself a widow. Okay. Again, certainly another huge life event. Couldn't even imagine, you know, the, the emotions involved. So first I should say, you know, unfortunately, if you do find yourself in this situation earlier in life, you know, God forbid your, your husband passes away at a young age. Most of the steps that I was just talking about of being thrust into that role as the financial decision maker are pretty much mimicked. Um, of course, the child support or alimony may not be there now, but in place of that, hopefully we had life insurance in the existing plan and that could certainly create you know, an influx of cash at a time when it's most needed. But in a more likely scenario, if we fast forward where we do get to live out into our golden years, um, but then our husband passes on and we continue to live life maybe 5, 10, 15 years thereafter. Okay. Again, now we, whether we want to or not, we are that decision maker. Okay. So a few things a widow in retirement has to, you know, think about. First, again, you want to take stock of all the financial plans and the budgets, but also now you might have to make some changes, some adaptations. First one to recognize, there could be a lost social security benefit. Right. If you listen to last week's episode of how to understand Social Security, you'll remember that you only keep the higher of the two uh, Social Security benefits. So if you are both working a full career 
and had solid social security retirement benefits, and then the husband passes away, you're now left with just one social security benefit. All right, so that could be a big reduction in income. Another thing to recognize, maybe even more impactful, is the potential loss or reduction to pension benefits. All right, so if you're one of those folks that was fortunate enough to retire with a defined benefit pension, typically this is going to be like government workers. If you're a teacher, police officer, or maybe worked for a large company that still provided a pension. What happens in that respect, and we could do a whole nother episode on this, is that employee, when they retire, oftentimes has an option as far as how they want to collect their pension. They might elect a straight life pension, which means that they get an annuity. This would be the maximum payout. They get an annuity for the rest of their life, but then once they pass on, uh, there's nothing left to, to go to a spouse or beneficiary. All right. So that means that that benefit dies with them. Or they can often elect a survivorship option in which if that employee were to predecease the wife, now the wife in this case will either continue the same benefit or receive a reduced benefit, a fraction of, of what the husband used to receive. Okay, so think about that. I mean, if you're used to a certain lifestyle and fixed income and retirement that you're enjoying and your husband's on a straight life pension and then he passes away and that monthly paycheck immediately goes out the window as well as his social security benefit, this could be a big adjustment to your retirement lifestyle. All right, so you've got to plan ahead for that. Again, that's something I harp on a lot about, not to digress, but in respect to life insurance and retirement can become a vehicle to replace all that lost income. So we got to think about those things. And then once you get that a grasp on that, you know, you're going to have to probate your deceased spouse's will, kind of make sure everything's squared away on that front. And then you definitely want to check out all the beneficiaries on any transfer of death accounts, uh, retirement accounts, life insurance policies, just not to delay, you know, any receipt of those funds. Okay. That's where I always tell people, you make sure you're checking every piece of mail, um, you know, reach out to, to the number on those statements, the customer service or the financial advisor or the broker, and make sure, you know, you know, what's what, and that whoever those beneficiaries are, are receiving, you know, what's owed. Okay. And then another thing to, to recognize is once that's squared away, you want to make sure you're aware of any required minimum distributions that might be owed on those retirement accounts. Okay, so if they have IRAs there, you got to make those RMDs or you could be subject to some pretty severe penalties. All right. And then, of course, you're going to be reviewing and updating your estate plans and those beneficiaries on what are now your accounts so that they jive with your overall plan and um, that there's no mistake uh, that we made in respect to that. All right, so certainly a lot of things to account for. And again, that's not even bringing up the tax situation and that you very well may have gone from married filing jointly and now thrust into a total different bracket because now technically you're single, all right? There's no more spouse there for you. So much to think about at that, that stage of life. So these are two major life events. Again, nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. I understand that. But the probability of success under all circumstances becomes far greater when we're going to be proactive and plan and not only just plan, but planning involving both of your spouses in all of these decisions. Okay. So you always got to remember if we lean on one financial quarterback, 
that may work fine when things are going well, but even the backup to Tom Brady needs to be ready to play football. Okay, so we all have to be ready. All right, thanks so much for tuning in again, guys. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You just listened to episode 14 of the Kaderna podcast, How a Woman Can Take Charge of Her Finances. Please keep spreading the good word. If you missed any of the first 13 episodes, go back and listen there. Chock full of information and nice little nuggets of advice to improve your your business savvy, your personal finance, and uh, also get you up and going. Had an awesome interview a couple weeks ago with Marcus Ogden. Certainly inspiring. So keep in contact with us. Email us at thecadernapodcast at gmail.com. Reach out on Facebook or social media. And we'll get some cool guests on here. Keep hitting on topics that you folks all want to hear about. And uh, we'll spread the good word. Thanks again and see you next week. The Caderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Advice should be relied upon only when coordinated with professional advice. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, social security, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional, as well as the social security department regarding your individual situation. Links to external sites are provided for your convenience and locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. The living balance sheet and the living balance sheet logo are service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York, copyright 2005 to 2019, Guardian. Brian Caderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through PAS, a registered broker dealer and investment advisor, 973-244-4420. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of PAS or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of the Guardian. Passes a member of FINRA SIPC. 2019-874-39, expiration date October 2021.